Welcome to Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture, a podcast from Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. I'm your host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Apologetics. I'm your co-host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics. Today we have with us a first-time guest by the name of Dan Kimball. He's an author. He is on staff at Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz, California. He's also on faculty at Western Seminary, and he's written a great new book that is so in line with what we do on the Think Biblically podcast, because the title is How Not to Read the Bible. Catchy, important title. Let me just read the subtitle. It says, Making Sense of the Anti-Women, Anti-Science, Pro-Violence, Pro-Slavery, and Other Crazy-Sounding Parts of Scripture. Dan, we're glad you're on the show. Why would you write a book dealing with so many controversial topics like this? Yep. Well, you mentioned that I am uh, on church staff and I have been in Santa Cruz, California, which is a pretty progressive uh, town, a beach town up north where you are. And I almost can't help but write this book because being in 31 years of ministry, Youth, youth leader, then young adult leader, then we planted Vintage Faith Church right near the university. These are the very questions that keep coming up over and over and over and over again from both Christians and non-Christians. And they're just, it's like flooding um, the conversations. And the saddest part, it's not just Bible trivia. It is because it is causing people to doubt faith, leave faith and not be interested in faith because of these very topics that are coming out of the Bible. So that was my main motivation was like, I almost couldn't help write it because so many people are asking these kind of questions. So Dan, I, I too really appreciate you tackling all these subjects and putting them in one place for people to have as a, as a resource. Uh, and the book is just, for our listeners, the book is just all about those things that are, are in the, the Bible. A lot of them are in the Mosaic Law uh, that, that, that just sound to the average modern person in the 21st century to be just plain weird. Uh, some of these, I think you explain really well as misreadings of the biblical text. Uh, some you explain as not, not so much misreadings but misapplications of the text, but some of these, they're just really tough to explain. So what, what I think we'd like to do, if we could, is just sort of start tackling this, the ones that you, you raise, uh, and some of them are really hard. So let me ask you just the first one. Exodus 21.7 allows a man to sell his daughter into slavery. How, how can that possibly be moral? Uh, I think yeah, it's the, well, the question that's often raised. I think, you know, before I get into that, which our response, I think what's so important and, and why I appreciate what Biola does and other Bible teaching schools is behind all of these questions, you got to ask yourself, like, why are these questions coming up now, right? Because to me, if we start understanding why these questions are being asked, then we can even answer them in a way that will be more understandable and uh, listenable, I guess, would be the answer. And I want to just read a Bible verse. I just popped up my Bible and thinking about this. There's the story in Judges chapter two, when Israel was brought into the new land and, um, and there was a change of leadership. And there's a verse that's so haunting to me because I think it's the reason these kind of questions are being asked is that it says, um, after is after Moses, then Joshua, they knew the Lord and what he had done. And then it gets to verse 10 
after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another uh, generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then it says, as a result, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and then they worshiped, they forsook the God of their um, ancestors and started worshiping other gods. And I do think, I would almost want to rephrase this uh, verse, and it's like, after that whole generation um, that was church-attending, Bible-believing Christians, another generation grew up who knew, neither knew the Lord, but they knew song lyric songs um, songs to worship songs they knew church attendance they knew types of church activities but i don't think they really understand the truths of the scriptures and we're in a like that's why i keep saying almost like a crisis because these without knowing the story of god in the scriptures you see something like this the slavery question that you just asked or the shrimp or all of these other God anti-shrimp and different things. It's really the underneath part is my biggest concern is that churches and Christian leaders and uh, and parents and grandparents have to be more concerned about making sure their kids are getting educated in love earlier on. Because I think these questions have always been in the Bible. They're just surfacing now for a bunch of different reasons. So I do think that, that Judges chapter 2 really kind of explains a lot what's going on today. Um, I'd like to, if I I could flip this back, what do you two think uh, being at uh, Viola Talbot and working with younger students? I thought we were supposed to ask the Uh. questions here. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I think that that what you point out from judges, I think certainly is a factor. Um, And I think in in general, I think there is in, in past generations that, had more of a Judeo-Christian consensus in the culture. There was much more trust in the Bible than there is today. Uh, I think there's just been, been a, a general greater skepticism about the Bible. I think some of that has to do with uh, where the culture has moved on sexuality. Uh, I think that's that's been a, f- a flashpoint that has caused people to think a, to look a little bit more carefully at some of the things the Bible teaches. Uh, and to think, hey, that's weird. That doesn't make sense. That's counterintuitive. Uh, so that that'd be my take on it. Yeah, I, I'm with you that there's underlying issues that are often not dealt with. And when the way you organize this book is that these memes that are passed around on social media very simplify these complex issues, and they bring to the service the lack of biblical understanding, the lack of the ability to interpret the scriptures and understand God's story and then hijacks these kids' faith. So I love that in the book you've tackled some of these. So let me swing it back. I'm dying to know now what you think about Exodus 21.7 because this is a passage I've been asked. I mean, I wouldn't sell my daughter into slavery almost no matter what, and yet this is held up as a model in Exodus 21.7. What say you? Yep. Well, Abe, uh, like the beginning of the book, I go through some basic, uh, basic Bible study principles. And one of them is like, never read a Bible verse. That's Greg Kokel, our friend. Yeah. Out of context, always examine what's going on. John Walton, a professor at Wheaton, has a phrase, uh, the Bible was not written to us, but for us, which means we have to go into the original recipients of who this was written for, Look at their world. Look at their culture. Look at the Bible verse, but then expand it out to the rest of that section of the Bible. And 
uh, and the answer about the slavery question, which we could spend 45 minutes just talking on this alone. So I don't want to cheapen the topic of slavery in a 90 second answer. Uh, but when you go into that culture, it wasn't selling slavery, a daughter into slavery, like we think of the English term slavery. We automatically read into the Bible our definitions through our modern lens. And slavery is evil. It always has been evil. It always will be evil. This isn't a defense of slavery at all. It's going into that world. They did not have, um, you know, they, they didn't have the systems of care for people. There was no welfare. There was, and all of these things. And most likely, what's going on here, which would have been more common at the time, is a family would sell a family member into. The, uh, like the servanthood of another uh, family or a person to work as their servant. And it was actually placing more of a uh, safety net for the child so they wouldn't end up in prostitution or on the street or other types of things. So when you're looking at it, the verse itself certainly sounds horrible and it is a unfortunate situation, and I'm glad we have laws and, and safety things in place so that it doesn't happen, happen to, doesn't have to happen in today's world. But back then, it wasn't slavery like we think of. It wasn't a father like selling his daughter into a van or selling his daughter uh, into um, all the wicked stuff out there today. It was an entirely different situation, and it's that's why these memes certainly look convincing, but you got to look deeper into it. That was a very quick answer to a an hour long discussion. Well, I, I actually I think that's helpful to to recognize that we have to read the biblical text with the the socioeconomic realities of the time for, foremost in our minds, and that you know a man selling his daughter into slavery in the in the biblical world was not the same thing as somebody in you know another part of the world who might sell a child into human trafficking. You know, some, something like that. It was it was different because there was no safety net um, that existed at the time. Let me. A lot of these things that are weird that you describe in the scripture come from the the Old Testament law of Moses. So, are there are there some general guidelines that we ought to think about in reading the Mosaic law uh, that we we might read that a little differently than the rest of scripture? Yeah, you know, like like I was just saying, you you. Any time in the the Bible is a library. It's a collection of books. It was written to different people over fifteen hundred different years and different genres for different purposes. So we can't just open up the Bible, which which I will say a lot of Christians do, and we extract things for our own uh, our own liking, and we can create false understanding of of God uh, in the other way, like in the positive way. Sometimes uh, we can use the Bible incorrectly that way, but in these cases, it's looking at Bible verses that are then used to try to discredit Christianity, discredit the scriptures, discredit God as either fictitious or angry or bizarro with all of these different laws. But to your question, it's going into the world of the ancient Israelites as they were being moved out of Egypt into the promised land and what was going on there. What were the surrounding people groups? There are surrounding people groups that Israel was moving into that were worshiping different gods, false gods, in all types of crazy different ways. And God was laying down restrictions so that they would not be compromising their faith and start worshiping other false deities in their ways. Now, most of these Mosaic laws and 
They sound so bizarre to us, but they wouldn't have sounded bizarre to the original recipients. I, I gave the illustration of in in United States law books, there are still laws that are in place. Like there's one that's uh, um, is it says, um, do not keep. It's illegal in Arizona, and allegedly on a lawyer site in Arizona. I read this. It is illegal for a anyone in Arizona to this day to keep a donkey in a bathtub, right? <laughs> that sounds very bizarre to us. But uh, if you go back to what that law was about, you go back to the 1920s, I believe it was, there was a flood that occurred. A farmer in a certain part of Arizona had a donkey that he would keep in a bathtub. The flood moved it into some sort of mud basin. They had a very difficult time getting it out and they were telling the farmer, no more keeping the donkey in the bathtub, and they actually made a law. So we hear it today with our modern ears and be like, that's such a bizarre thing. You go back in time, back to Arizona in the 1920s, there'd been, oh, Farmer Jim, of course, don't keep a donkey in a bathtub. It's things like that. There's um, there's a law in, I think it was um, uh, Kentucky, where you it's illegal to this day to keep an ice cream cone in your back pocket. You read that and it sounds absolutely crazy and bizarre to us. You go back to Kentucky at that particular time and you find out that horse thieves were luring horses away from people using ice cream. So you could then, they made a law not to be able to do that to prevent horse theft. Amazing. Again, back then it would have made perfect sense. Today it sounds so bizarre. And that's what's underneath all of these most of these laws are they had purpose and meaning and they would have been known that as God was instructing the original people group. Today, they sound so crazy. And it certainly makes good mocking of Christianity in the Bible, pulling these things out, because the assumption is then you're supposed to still be doing these things today. And it's such a misunderstanding of the Bible. And it's, I can feel my, I always, when I talk about this, I can feel my body reacting because <laughs> it's, uh, it's like madness. Like that's not true. You're using the text of scripture wrong. Don't get fooled. And unfortunately, many people are getting fooled seeing these memes or TikTok is like, you know, that's the difference. Uh, there's education going on. I'm, I'm old enough now that I've watched this happen. In before, there's always atheists. There's always people that were criticizing scripture and pulling out these verses that are you know, that are all well known about the, the, the odd ones and the weird ones. But today... There's education happening at the access that has access to every junior hire, anyone that has TikTok, you go on there, you type in exvangelical, and you'll see floods of education yep. saying the Bible is incorrect. Mm -hmm. That is what's going on today. And that's actually the bigger concern than even following, figuring out some of these verses, is we have to be educating earlier what the Bible is so they're not getting their education from TikTok versus their parents, grandparents, and churches. Well, two things from this. Number one, that's why I'm actually on TikTok trying to counter some of these false ideas. Mm -hmm. But second, that's actually why I loved your book so much is we share an importance of scripture, interpret in right, and for the next generation. Now, the first part of this book, before you get into some of these memes you respond to, you do exactly what you've done for us so far. What is the background to the Old Testament law? How do we read the Bible. Sometimes in conversation, people ask me these tough questions, and I just have one or two moments to give a response back. So let's go through some of the big issues that you address, some of these tough passages, and 
admittedly, you're not able to go into the depth that you do in the book and that is required, but maybe give us just one or two points that would help bring the context out of this. So for example, why not cook a goat in its mother's milk? Okay. And that's, there's a, there's a great illustration. You'll see that with a, you know, either a severed goat head graphically or a goat and Exodus 23, 19. That is what it says. There's a couple times it says it. Do not cook a goat in its mother's milk. Why would that be in the Bible? What's going on? So again, it's easily to mock. Look at these strange things. But if you were to go back in that time period, you know it was probably one of these two or three things. It was either the Canaanite custom, uh, Canaanite customs of boiling a kid, a baby goat, in its mother milk, in its mother's milk, to appease the, the Canaanite gods to have a bountiful livestock like the next year. So one thought, it was a Canaanite practice of worship that then God was instructing, do not, uh, do not pattern yourself and, and do these worship rites that the Canaanites are doing to false gods. Uh, so that would have been, that's what they do, don't do. There's another thought that it possibly could be God instructing that because life and death are distinct and to use mother's milk, mm. and which is life sustaining and then using it for death would have been a uh, contradiction and God did not want that to be patterned if they were patterning after the Canaanites. And the other thought about it was that God was also the goat was used in the sacred act of atonement practice that the Israelites were then doing. So one of these reasons is why. We're not sure which one, but whichever one it was for sure, if you were living back then, if you heard the instruction, don't cook a goat in, in its mother's milk, you'd have been like, of course, I see why. God doesn't want us because of, to do it because of these reasons. In our world today, sounds bizarre. It is bizarre sounding but you got to go back and look at it. And then there's three reasonable reasons I just gave. It's most likely one of those three reasons that would have made total sense back at that time period. Yeah, and let me ask you about another one that I think is, it, it is very, very troubling, even if we understand the, the, the Old Testament background. And that is if a woman's raped, she, must, she, she marries her rapist from Deuteronomy 22, 28, and 29. How do, how do we make sense out of that? Yeah, again, uh, rape is evil, horrible, wicked, um, absolutely. And they were, once again, they didn't have the laws that we have in place. Uh, the, you know, violence and, it, I mean, it's hard for us to think of what it must have been like living in that culture in that time period. And so what this was, interestingly, was God was actually giving some instruction for the caring of a woman who was raped. Uh, and it was not a just like, all right, you rape her, you get to keep her. You go back into that and you start looking at things more and you compare it to other writings that are out there. And there's so much information about this. But it, but again, it sounds just so horrible from the just looking at a verse. But when you look at it, it was actually setting up a way for that woman to be cared for and responsibility be taken. And again, I, I keep saying it could be 45 minutes but there's so much more going on to it than that. There's actually an establishment for care, not for um, giving in to the will of the rapist. And there's actually the whole family could get involved and there was even an out to it. So it was a, a caring system, not a um, punishment or, or giving the rapist what he wanted. So this was more about the, the rapist actually taking financial responsibility for the woman he's raped for the rest of her life. Is that basically yes. what, it, what you're suggesting? 
with, yes, without absolutely. and marriage was the o- marriage was the only I mean the only institution available at the time to ensure that he would be responsible for her for that that's sort of the point. Yeah, and again, it even like you know listening to you, it still sounds horrible, and it was horrible. I mean, think of this back then the the living conditions, what their limited knowledge of. Uh, of things where there was no scripture was just being written. So for the Israelites, they were just having these new laws when they were in a whole different understanding of how to treat other human beings before. So yes, um, as strange as it sounds to us, it was a good caring system that was put in place with the woman then being cared for financially and looked out. And, and we it's hard to understand, but it is the best way that could be worked out in a system of that time period. Let's stick on the issue of the treatment of women, but shift to the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 14, don't we get the message that women should remain silent and let men talk? Isn't that misogynistic would claim the meme? Let, let me give you an example of this. I was in a church not, not long ago where a woman was just reading the biblical text that the pastor was going to preach from, and all of a sudden in the back of this church, this older gentleman gets up and bellows out. He said, wow. women should be silent in the churches. Wow. Right in the middle. And the, the pastor was a bit sort of flummoxed as to what, what, yes. what to do about oh, that. Oh, my goodness. Um, but, wow. I mean, I, I, I shudder to think of what his reaction would have been had the woman actually been preaching <laughs> right. that day. So, Dan, what, what about that? Yeah, well, again, all right, will you read that passage? Who was it written to? Like going through basic Bible study methods. It was written in to the Corinthian church um, in Corinth, which was a crazy, very, so many different religions were there, worshiping different ways. The church was new, being birthed into a polytheistic, uh, very pagan, hedonistic culture was going on. So you read a verse like that, and you have to say, all right, it says, be silent. The word actually says, you know, it's a disgrace for a woman to speak in church. That is what the text says. You, you can pull that out and then slap it on a meme with a woman like it's happened, a woman with her mouth taped shut or worse kind of images, mocking the scriptures, looking at it. You know, something really easy to look at this is Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church three chapters earlier in chapter 11, He's encouraging women to be praying and prophesying in the church meeting. So he can't be literally meaning, do not speak up in the church. So like even to take that verse from simply saying there's more going on to it three chapters earlier when women are talking in the church and it's encouraged, what else could be going on? And then you start looking about possibilities of what were women in that particular time period, city and culture, what were they, um, what was going on? What was the learning posture at the time? Was it to be learning? Were they coming in not knowing how to learn because they might have been treated differently? They weren't, sadly, women were not educated as much back then. And the posture of learning was to not be uh, outspoken and be asking questions in a teaching environment until you were learned more. That's a possibility. There's, there's a lot of different ways scholars will look at this, but it is not talking about women be silent and, and just go home and ask your husband something. It can't possibly mean that because that would be contradicting the rest of the New Testament and Jesus' treat, treatment of women. So uh, so much more is going on here. Again, quick answer to a long, uh, a long discussion. But this is why people are getting fooled. They're reading little bit of Bible verses that are all spicy sounding and look good on graphics and saying, look at this, look at this. 
and then thinking uh, Christianity is anti-women and it's the opposite. It's the absolute opposite. So, yeah, Dan, let me let me go let me go back to the Old Testament for a moment. One, just one more of these that sounds particularly egregious is it has to do with just the the level of violence that is sanctioned in the Old Testament. I'm thinking particularly about Psalm 137, mm-hmm. which uh, is a lament against Babylon. Uh, right. Daughter of Babylon, doomed, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. And then here's the punchline. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Yeah, that's, that's, no. a, that's a tough one. Now, I recognize that, yeah. that, that, that I just did exactly what you caution us against doing, <laughs> which is just well, reading, reading a verse. But help us put that in context. Okay, well, your first sentence, actually, you were doing what you're, we're supposed to be doing. You then said, who, who was it written to? When was it written? Remember? Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned that. So Psalm 137.9, when it says, happy shall, um, for those that uh, take little, I mean, depending on what translation, little ones and dash them against, against the rocks or infants, you got to say, is, all right, who's speaking there? The way it comes across is that God is pleased with you know, smashing infants against the rocks. One, though the Spirit of God wrote every word in the original documents you know, through people, this was a human being. Um, it wasn't God, this isn't God speaking. It's a, it's a person writing out their anguish and their pain after the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem. And a soldier back at that time to kill children, and these soldiers did kill children, they would fling them against the ground and kill them. So this was someone going through the horror of watching their, it could have been their personal children or their friend's children when the Babylonians took over, uh, conquered Jerusalem, and they're writing a psalm, psalm, what is it? There are songs, they're poetry, this person's expressing the angst and the anger and crying out for revenge, you know. So it's not God saying smash babies against rocks. And, the, and there's like mocking by atheists, pulling this verse out, putting it on a billboard and saying, God hates babies, and then quoting this verse. Again, it's missing the entire basics of Bible study methods like I just described. It's not God himself saying those words. It's a, it's a poetic expression by someone who experienced this very same thing was crying out for revenge. Um, to, to say it was God saying it, make it a billboard is just, um, it, it, but it fools people. Again, it fools people over and over again. It's fooling people. Dan, you talk about a ton of verses in here that we didn't get to. Questions like, is Christianity anti-science? Uh, questions even like that intersects with questions like evolution, uh, there's a range of other ones. Does God really hate shrimp? We didn't actually tackle that one. But I'm curious, in your study of these tough verses, was there any one or two were just that were the toughest for you? And I ask because I think there's very plausible responses for the vast majority of verses. But to be honest, sometimes we just don't know, mm-hmm. and we have to guess and do our best. And overall, I'm fine with a faith that has those handful of outliers it doesn't take away from the majority for me. So right. in your estimation, was there one or two you're like, I just don't quite know what to do with this, still working on it? Oh, yeah, there, there's uh, 50 of them. You know, so there's, Oh, okay. Well, 
I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to say 50 to, here's what I know. Studying these, if I was coming in as an agnostic, I would actually have gained more confidence in the scriptures and the God of the scriptures if I was studying it with an open mind as an agnostic, actually putting the time into Bible study methods to read these things. There are, we don't live back then. Some of these, we have limited understanding and knowledge of some of the situations and some of the cultural settings, but we can do our best and have a pretty good response to most of the difficult ones or these odd ones. Some of them we just don't know for sure, but we can have a good guess, but it's not a blind faith guess. Um, when you understand God of the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, and you see compassion, love, forgiveness, all of the things he talks about himself, and you'll see in the storyline, you gain confidence and you start knowing who this God is. So when you see these odd things that come up in the overwhelming um, abundance of all of the things that you can know for sure, the those ones then don't affect you as much, you know, so they're not, um, they don't catch you off guard like, oh no, my faith is ruined because I have such confidence in the entire scriptures. If I don't have confidence in the entire scriptures or I don't know the entire scriptures, then I might be starting to have my faith undermined or not be interested. But back to your question, the toughest one by far is the violence passages. Uh. Um, absolutely. I can, we can explain some of them like, you know, where you can't metaphor away or um, he was using the hyperbolic war language, you know, like all of these things, which are true. And actually I talk about it in the violence section, but God did use violence at times. God did instruct, um, you know, armies to attack. And, and it's hard to understand, you know, like, couldn't God have done it in another way? Or couldn't they have, you know, and, and what I do is that is the most difficult part for me or some of those stories. But because I know the God of the whole Bible, and I know the whole story of who he is and his compassion and his love and saw his patience over and over again and forgiveness and all of the warnings that he gave to people before violence was used, I trust this God. And that's mm. not a cheap answer. It's a very thoughtful answer. You know, Sean, I think I might have told you this another time, um, that when I, I wasn't raised a Christian, and um, I was in college, and I just started wondering. I, my, I actually had a really fun life, and I just, God, I believe, was just causing me to question, is Christianity true? And I still don't know exactly why, but it started happening. And I had some good friends of mine that actually... They saw me get a Bible. They saw me buy a couple. In fact, I bought Josh McDowell books. I can still remember bringing those home. Nice. And they saw these in my house. And I came home one day and there's like a, uh, like, you know, when you can tell, like they're talking about you. I'm like, what? And they all sat around this group, like four or five of them. And they're like, we're worried about you. And I'm like, what? It's like, we see that you're reading a Bible and you're buying these books and we're worried you're joining a cult. And, <laughs> but here's what I remember. How do I know I wasn't? How do, they were saying this out of concern. We believe in a man that died and rose again three days later. Like that sounds like a cult, right? <laughs> it's like, and Christianity in the early days was thought of a cult. And the word cult is now being used more and more on TikTok if you're, if you're watching. Like yeah. I grew up in a cult, a cult, a cult. Evangelical church is a cult, a cult. And so it made me early on force myself to like, I don't want to be in a cult. Is this true? And, and it, and that motivation to make to was I've never been let down, 
and I've constant, I would be the first one to say, don't believe this stuff. It's, it's not true. Um, I would be saying that I'd be screaming it from the rooftops. I'd be on TikTok, you know, running exvangelical. It's true. It's not true. It's not true. The Bible's wrong. But the more I have studied it over my life, the more I have more confidence in it. And the more God is, you, you know, loving, compassionate, forgiving, he is. So I'm taking that just a sidetrack because it's, that's sort of the, the culture of what's happening out there. And I think we got to pay a lot of, like you are, Sean, for sure, a lot of attention to this because that's what's underneath these questions today. So um, I'm so thankful for what you, what you, uh, what you do and, and that you're on TikTok, uh, just like we need to be doing this. So yes, I do have, I have questions. I'll have questions for sure, but I, I know I have confidence and none of the questions are um, cause me to doubt into any type of turmoil, understanding of faith or anything. Dan, we sure appreciate you coming on. From the moment I met you, probably a couple decades ago, I knew this guy was sharp and he's a thinker and a scholar, but just have such a pastoral heart. And that comes through in this book that myself and my my co-host Scott and at Biola, this is the kind of resource we want to get into people's hands because you're right. At its core, so many of the issues going on today within the church is biblical illiteracy and people are getting taken in by bad ideas. So I hope our listeners will pick up a copy. Yes, you got the title right, How Not to read the Bible by our guest today, Dan Kimball. Dan, appreciate your friendship and appreciate you coming on the show today. Well, thank you both for what you do. Um, I'm just so thankful for Viola Talbot, uh, again, training leaders who are going to be reaching the next generation. So thank you for all that you do too. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. The Think Biblically podcast is brought to you by Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. Offering programs in Southern California and fully online, including our Master's in Christian Apologetics, where I teach classes on the resurrection, the problem of evil, and beyond, now offered fully online. Visit biola.edu slash Talbot to learn more. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening, and remember... Think biblically about everything.